Welcome to Brainwaves, bringing you the best in board game and tabletop gaming news. I'm Ian McAllister. I'm Jamie Adams, and joining us this week is Matt Evans from Creaking Shelves, reviewer, YouTube star, and creator of the Witches Greater video series, which compares famous games to each other and then lets them fight it out for supremacy. He is also, I have heard, a massive fan of Arkham Horror the card game, so I'm sure he and Ian will get on fabulously. Matt, welcome to the podcast. Thank you. Very, very nice to be here. Well, uh, Arkham Horror fan. Yay. <laughs> oh, yeah, I do I do enjoy reading your articles. Tell, tell us a little bit about yourself, Matt, and what, what you do. Well, I uh, review board games, critique board games, depending on how pretentious I'm feeling. <laughs> uh, so I've been doing that for about four years with the blog, and then started up the YouTube channel with a uh, friend of mine who's much more experienced at video editing than I am, and so we could put together something a bit crazier, a lot more silliness than just your usual stand in front of a uh, shelf of board games content. So yeah, we compare games uh, on the channel, throw in uh, quite a few jokes, and eventually come to some sort of conclusion, but it's not really the conclusion that matters, it's what's interesting. It's the journey, exactly. (laughs) It was the conclusions you drew along the way. Yeah. <laughs> that, that is it indeed. Uh, I've got a great admiration for anyone who does video. Uh, we looked at video briefly for the giant brain, but then decided that it was far too hard. It is a monumental amount of effort. Yeah. Which is yeah. why in like two and a half years, we've only put out 20 odd episodes uh, of the show. So it takes a long time. Yeah, it takes an awful lot of effort. I just don't, I have a great admiration for your work. I really do. And anyone who's putting out like regular video content just blows my mind completely. It's yeah, I mean, so much effort. Yeah, we took the kind of seasonal approach, yep. which means, yeah. you know, we film a bunch of stuff and then release it all in like a six week period and then don't release anything for a, <laughs> for a while while we recuperate and then build up for the next season. A quality over quantity method of approach. Exactly. Anyway, thanks very much for coming on the show, and uh, let's get on with things. These are the headlines for the week of 14th of October, 2019. Kickstarter fiasco kicks up a notch. Keyforge cashes in by cashing out. And Wendy serves up an RPG. No, really. All this and more on this episode of Brainwaves. Yes, yeah, so last time on Brainwaves, we reported on the Kickstarter unionization efforts, and there has been a few updates since that report. Since the last cast, the union has been asked to be voluntarily recognized by the Kickstarter management. Unfortunately, the management have come back to them and said that they are not willing to do that and wish to hold a vote on the formation of a union, which is a process that we understand greatly favors the company over the employees in America. A couple of companies have put out statements as to what their response is going to be to this. Uh, we particularly recommend looking at Rowan Rook and Deckard, who are the designers of the Spire RPG. They've got a really good article on what their response is to this. At the moment, the union is still not calling for Kickstarter to be boycotted, and we do urge our listeners to follow the lead of the union. Uh, the Giant Brain personally believes in the power of unions to protect workers and workers' rights. 
at the time of recording, the, the union has just put out a link to their uh, face, their website on Twitter showing all the things that you can do to help them out. That includes things like emailing Kickstarter senior leadership to, to tell them what you think, posting your support using a particular hashtag, posting a picture showing your solidarity. We'll uh, obviously link to that in our show notes. What do you guys think about this? I mean, is this like the beginning of the end for Kickstarter if they don't recognize this union? We are in a really interesting position kind of as the board game uh, community given how much money we send to kickstarter like yeah. we're a significant part of their um income stream which is an unusual place for board gaming to be in yeah it's quite strange isn't it? I can't, we reported on it last year it was some ridiculous percentage of kickstarter's income i think it's like 30 40 percent something like that yeah so i mean if we as a community band together and say that we support uh the union then yeah. that can start to have quite big impact yeah they're going to have to listen if, if especially if a lot of board gaming and rpg companies get together i will freely admit that i initially when i heard the news did overreact somewhat and i did post up a, a statement on my twitter going that's it i'm not gonna uh, support any kickstarter projects again i urge other people to do the same you know this was a bit of an overreaction on my part i will fully admit that having then read the reports from kickstarter united uh, and the people who want to be recognized as a union saying by boycotting kickstarter you are you're basically going to make it more likely for people to lose their jobs anyway and in a way you're also hurting the indie gaming scene yeah which is primarily what you're boycotting or not what you're boycotting it's what you are hoping to help so i will officially be yeah. retracting that statement and go I stand by the Kickstarter United people. And yeah, my my idea is in line with uh, the giant brain. Yeah, I think the Rowan Rook and, De- uh, Rook and Deckard um, yeah. post was saying exactly that, like follow what the union are asking. Yeah. So for the time being, that's keep you know business as usual, keep supporting the Kickstarters you wish to support. Yeah, absolutely. And I'm sure they will put out a statement if they, if negotiations with um, Kickstarter management do not go their way. That may change. We will, of course, update you as that happens. But now, on to news about gigantic piles of money. Ooh, exciting times. Yeah, Keyforge is apparently raking in enough money that FFG are going to throw some of it back at their players, which is awfully nice of them. They've announced that they're going to be running tournaments, which is not unusual for Fantasy Flight games, kind of collectible type card games. Uh, but what is unusual is that they are going to be offering cash prizes, and there's a ridiculous $100,000 prize pool available, which is, that's a lot of Keyforge decks if you turn it all back into Keyforge decks. Yeah, that, that, that's, the one, that's what they've not said. Is it, it, They're just going to give you it in Keyforge decks. It's not actual money. <laughs> Virtual currency that can only be spent on, on Keyforge decks. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no. The uh, I think the winner is is up for twenty five twenty five k. Yeah. Yes. Uh, this is quite shocking. I mean, I understood it was doing very well for them, um, mm. but when you think, you know, like the average board game costs fifty dollars and sells three thousand copies, and FFG are now willing to just give up $100,000 in advertising money effectively. Keyforge must be doing absolutely phenomenally. Yeah, it's it's quite extraordinary. It's the first time FFG have ever offered a cash prize across all their games. I, I remember it being vaguely talked about when Netrunner was a thing. Mm. 
and a lot of the community not liking that idea because they thought that uh, money prize would change the nature of the game quite a lot. They change the meta and make things a bit more like nasty competitive as opposed to just competitive. It, it does add a unpleasant twist to whatever game you're playing, isn't it? When yeah, when money's on the line, it just everything just gets a little bit more tense. Yes. Uh, yeah. I spe- and especially in a game like Keyforge where the decks are completely random. I think there'll be a lot more adjudications. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I'm not sure if this is one where you enter the tournament and they give you a deck, in which case that, yeah, then it's kind of like you're not really, you're only responsible for playing that deck as well as you can, or whether it's a case of you're, you're choosing the best deck you can possibly find and then turning up to this tournament with it. From what I read in the article, they are uh, the main core of it will be the Archon events, and that's where you choose a deck and take it with you and play that. But I think they're also talking about like some some of the events so basically there's like three levels of events there's um tryouts which are the store level stuff where you can win a free seat at the qualifier events uh the qualifier events uh offer up to like twenty five hundred dollars for the winner with a total prize bill of ten thousand dollars and then the top 32 players from those are invited to championships and the championships are all populated from qualifiers or last chance qualifiers in the run-up right to that with the the twenty five thousand dollars being the, the top prize of that and the the hundred thousand dollar prize bill and lots of side events and all that kind of thing but our um one of the nice things about keyforge is it does have a lot of different sort of formats and i really like the sealed format just mm. being able to turn up and play is cool i don't have to think about the meta or anything i can just turn up and play and lose badly <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so jamie i hear i can get an rpg with my fast food I mean, you can, but, well, we'll get into that later. You might be aware that there is a fast food chain called Wendy's, who over the past several years has garnered quite an online following, at least, over their rather barbed Twitter responses. And they also do food, apparently. At New York Comic Con, which has just recently gone by, Wendy's revealed in partnership with Critical Role and Fandom, Feast of Legends, the Wendy's-based role-playing game. Now, this is not just a 10-page little supplement. This is a 96-page rulebook, with about half of it is our pre-written adventure, and the other half is rules and classes, where you'll be playing as characters uh, in the nation of Fresh Tovia in the land of Beef's Keep. (laughs) All the character classes are named after Wendy's menu items, uh, including the Order of the Spicy Chicken Sandwich and the Order of the Baconator and the Order of the Frosty, which will correspond to various role-playing classes, Pyromancer, Barbarian Tank, and Healer, respectively. Now, you... <laughs> I don't know whether to be excited or apologetic. I'll be sick to my stomach. I'll be honest. I <laughs> yeah. I'll be honest. <laughs> I'm a, a little bit more of the latter. While it is a very well presented book, very well formatted, I think the writing is generally quite nice. On the other hand, they're able to do this because, well, they've seen which way the wind is blowing, and tabletop gaming has had a massive resurgence in the last several years. It does still smack of a cynical marketing ploy. Oh yeah, I mean, there's a bit of that, and it, it's. I mean, it's nice to see an RPG reach such such a wide audience. I guess. However, Wendy's is a pretty poor employer in the states. They have gone against um, a lot of sort of like employment laws in the states because they want to pay their workers as little as possible. 
But on the upside of all this, Critical Role, when they were live streaming a play of the game, donated all their money from the live stream to the very charity that Wendy's had dissed a couple of years previously called Farmworker Justice. Uh, so all the cash that went uh, from Critical Role stream went to that. Now, that might have been partly due to the wide Twitter backlash against um, this RPG coming out. But I guess that charity doesn't really care. So, uh, you chaps are role players. Are you planning on picking up a copy? Well, here's the thing. <laughs> Can't say I'm going to run out to my nearest Wendy's. Well, my nearest yes. Wendy's is you can, America. You can download it for free. <laughs> and uh, from the website, I, I did download it for free. I had a wee flick through it. Again, very well presented. Uh, it seems to be, you know, not a bad wee game for free and a 96-page rule book. And I understand why there's a lot of people who aren't wanting to talk about it because it is greedy it's cynical it's it's not funny it's you know it's it's insidious and in many ways i would agree but at the same time it's still noteworthy that a big fast food company like wendy's has taken note and has done this which means get ready because we're going to be getting associated things from kfc mcdonald's burger king denny's applebee's uh Maybe, maybe I hop yeah. Long John Silver's. I'm trying to name American fast food restaurants now, and I've forgotten, so that's fine. On to other stories in the news. Yes, thank you for that, Jamie. So, uh, if you are planning to go to Games Fest in Tring, Hertfordshire, we'd absolutely urge you to not to do so because that convention seems to have been involved in a little bit of Twitter uh, nonsense. Their website has not been updated since April this year but until very recently their Facebook and Twitter page were live and it was full of far-right bigotry, homophobia, racism, just retweeting some of the worst of the internet effectively. Most notably they recently responded to a Kickstarter campaign for an RPG that was set in alternate history west featuring lots of people of colour. Uh, and talking about it eliminating white people from history. Since this has happened, the Facebook page and Twitter account do seem to be taken down, but yeah, we'd urge our listeners to not go anywhere near this thing. There are other Games Fests, so yeah, don't confuse the three or four that are out there. (laughs) But yeah, this one specifically is in Tring, Hertfordshire, and yeah, we'd urge you not to go to... Because someone involved or someone who had control of their social media is definitely not a very nice person at all. I definitely feel sorry for the other companies, other groups who have called their things yeah. Games Fest, who have nothing to do with this. So yeah, apparently, apparently there's another Games Fest somewhere in England, but it's like on the other side yes. of the country. Yeah. So hopefully they've not gotten like snarled up in this whole thing. Uh, so Matt, what's what's happening with uh, a game called Sunken Sailor? You alerted us to. Yeah. So I. Uh... Saw a couple of uh, German media folks uh, talking about this because apparently the German branch of Asmodee, at least, has uh, brought, advertised they're bringing out a game called Sunken Sailor, which I think was originally a a Finnish release, and so they're distributing it. Mm -hmm. This is interesting because it is almost exactly the same game as a much earlier release called A Fake Artist Goes to New York by Oink Games, which... Certainly, I've I've played and is excellent. And Oink Games is a uh, little Japanese company that produce little games that are only just kind of getting a foothold in the West. Like over the last five years, they kind of started off as rare yeah. imports. Mm. Yeah, I play Deep Sea Adventure. That's fantastic. Yeah, I've got a copy. I love it. 
And they seem to be having a lot of bad luck on this front, because previously you may have heard of the uh, Werewords uh, from Bezier Games, uh, which got into a bit of a yeah. tiz with Oink Games, because it was very similar. There are differences this time, in that case at least, to Oink Games Insider, which had just released. In that case, it was more of a yeah. parallel development. They couldn't quite come to a an arrangement for like jointly releasing a game and they ended up with you ended up with two similar but different titles <laughs> and now again you've got another western company that, that, that's gone even further and appears very much to have flat out taken the entire game changed the theme added one or two tiny differences yeah even the box color's the same it's quite blatant <laughs> yeah i had a look at the link you sent and yeah, the box box color is the same. It's like, yeah. wow, could you be a little bit more blatant about what you're doing here? I, I mean, I'm not, I'm not gonna impugn anyone, but, but come on. Yeah, it seems like there's no excuse from the company that created Sunken Sailor. It's a little bit disappointing to see Asmodee distributing it uh, in Germany, and yeah. I'm not sure. Like, I mean, Asmodee distributes just about it, you know, almost everything, right? So yeah, pretty much. It would, it's it's a shame that uh, there's not a little bit more. Quality control. <laughs> protect the little guy. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Jamie, Monolith are going beyond. Where are they going beyond? Monolith, 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 the company behind Conan and Batman Gotham City Chronicles, both of which use Monolith's home-built THS system, which stands for Tactical Homeostatic System. So really, it should just be THS. You what now? Tactical Whoa. Homeostatic System. <laughs> Please listen, Ian. <laughs> Monolith and <laughs> That's not a turn on, I don't know what Monolith is. Monolith announced on the seventh of October uh, this year, they put up a post on their Facebook group titled Beyond the Monolith, article number one. Basically, Monolith have looked at the current state of gaming and their games and they see a lot of miniatures being bought and they're being played with, and then not a lot happening with them after a bit of play. So they're wanting to bring, in their words, their version of a generic role-playing system. But it's not a role-playing system, it's for board games. Do you follow me? It's like a console, basically. They're making a console that you can plug different games into. That's an even better way to describe it, and I think they actually do use that in the article, which I have read. Don't worry, I'm not just making this up. Uh, it's, it sounds similar <laughs> to like the Simon Commons, um, their digital one there, Teb- Teberu? Teberu, yes. Tabaru. But yeah, that sounds kind of similar to that. I don't think it's very similar in as much as Taburu seems to be. It is designed for games. It is blank. You know, you will get specific games. This is a lot more generic. You'll have to get the miniatures for those games. For the this seems to be uh, Monolith is going to try and release uh, two different kits or boxes, engine boxes, called Second Life kits and Universe boxes. And these engine boxes basically will have dice, uh, coloured base rings, uh, a rule book, thankfully, cards, tokens, aids, and overlord and hero tablets. Now, I assume they are related to the game itself because I have not played any of Monolith's games. Yeah, that's, that's, the, so, yeah, that's their system yeah, thing. To quote from Conan the Batman. post, When a new setting or theme becomes available, you will already have all these materials and will only need to buy the associated thematic elements, i.e. minis, special character sheets, tiles, etc. of your choice. This also means you will only have to learn the rules once, as they will be common across all the settings. Mm. Which I, Hmm. in a 
ecological, environmental idea. I'm like, yeah, okay. Cutting down on packaging, cutting down on buying lots of stuff. You know, I like the, the reusable ability of that. The, the Second Life kits that they are releasing uh, are aimed at the worlds and properties Monolith has, but they will expand to others. Um, they can't, can't say what they are right now, but they have done a few deals, apparently. I bet they have. Uh, <laughs> uh, yes. <laughs> uh, the Universe boxes, from which, to quote Monolith again, from now on, we will be able to offer you core boxes, which include our usual rich and detailed maps, minis, cards and tiles, but for prices much lower. I guess it sounds like they're saying that their system, their core system, is great and perfect, mm. and we're just going to release this core, which I guess is the kind of yeah. trays and slidey bits, and then we're yeah. just going to keep plugging in new system, uh, you know, new themes, new settings, and new miniatures for people. So you know, yeah. pick the pick the themes and settings you find most yeah. appealing and cool. I know it seems really good, frankly. The implementation of it is going to begin in January when Monolith takes Conan either back to Kickstarter to to print its its game again, or maybe there might be some more Conan. I think it might be they're getting the original game for another Kickstarter. Uh, Jamie, I hear Mattel are are bringing Uno to more people, even more people than before. Yes, Mattel, that wonderful, wonderful company, is bringing a very old card game. I say very old. Uh, it's Uno. And I just looked this up. Uno's been around since only 1971. I thought it was much, much older. I thought it was much uh, younger, actually. Oh, there we go. There we go, then. There we go, then. <laughs> well, Uno, <laughs> I know, it's wonderful. You you laugh and you learn. Brainwaves. It's wonderful. <laughs> I'll get a on a t-shirt <laughs> There is a Braille version of Uno being developed And being released by Mattel In partnership with the National Institute of the Blind In the United States These Uno cards will Still be the full coloured Uno cards But will also have Braille in the corner of them Denoting their colour and value or, or type of action to basically allow sighted and non-sighted people to potentially play games together. Which I think is a wonderful move towards inclusivity and diversity. And it's also rather nice to know it's not the first time Mattel has released a version of Uno aimed at inclusivity. In 2017, just two short years ago, they released Uno Color Ad. Which again was a standard Uno deck but had additional symbols on the cards to denote what colour they were for people with colour vision deficiency to play. Yeah, very cool. Yeah, it's good to see a lot of a big company like that doing this kind of thing. It'll hopefully encourage other board game companies and RPG companies to do similar. And we'd really recommend the, uh, if you're not familiar with it, Meeples Like Us do great accessibility breakdowns of board games. We really, really recommend that site for, for that work. Just a wee update on a previous Brainwaves before we move on to our brainstorm. Uh, back in Brainwaves 34, we talked about unbroken Kickstarter tobacco beside Golden Bell, all their problems with funding and getting the game out to backers. Unfortunately, that situation does not seem to have fully resolved itself. Backers, as we understand it, backers in America have the game and the game is on its way to the UK but various backers across the rest of the world still do not have their games, and it has forced Artem Savarov, the d original designer of Unbroken, to launch a GoFundMe to try and pull together enough funding to ship the original Kickstarters to backers. 
uh, we, you can go and check that out and maybe pledge a little bit to Armin to help him out. There are some extra bonuses in there for Unbroken backers. And hopefully that will see that resolved. But it is really unfortunate that Artem has had to do that. Again, He's really, he's he seems to be the good guy in all this. He's really being caught between a rock and a hard place. And if you do if you do feel like helping out a small game designer, then that's worth checking out. Well, it's that time of year again when there's still a lot of conventions uh, for board games kicking about around the world. Now, we have the Essen Spiel happening very, very soon in, surprise, surprise, Essen in Germany. And Board Game Geek, as it usually does before a major convention, puts up its preview. And the preview for Essen contained something in the region of 1,100 games for demo, for pre-order, for buying, for display at Essen. And I'm going to be thinking a little bit about games and the collections that we have and the turnover that games have every year. And I, I came upon the idea, and also with the wonderful Matt here with his Which is Greater series, it got me thinking about games that are described as killers. Now by that I mean a game that has effectively replaced another. For example, when Deception Murder in Hong Kong was released several years ago, there were some who were parading it as a Mysterium killer. It would completely replace Mysterium. No one would want, really want to play Mysterium again because Deception does what Mysterium or does, but better. Do we think that this is a healthy mentality for the games industry to have? That, you know, these games that were coming along, that very soon games, you're always looking for the game that will unseat it. Is this an inevitability that is going to happen, especially with the turnover that we have in the board game industry? Gentlemen, your thoughts. Well, it's certainly an effective marketing tactic. Oh, of course. Oh, this game's a Splendor killer. So, huh, I, I, I wasn't that keen on Splendor, so I guess I, I'll definitely try this. Or, I'm quite keen on Splendor. I'm going to have to try hate try this, <laughs> or, you know, whatever. I, I forgot about the power of hate trying. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Hate tries. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I, I have to say, for Splendor Killers generally, I have found that they never do, at least not for me. But maybe that's just because I love Splendor. I don't know. I haven't played it in ages. Anyway, see, I'm not a great. I'm not a great fan. But that's another. That's a. That's for another brainstorm entirely. <laughs> Everyone's got their own favorite games, and like I've got like one of my earliest purchases was Lords of Vegas, which is still sitting on my shelf because it's absolutely fantastic, and nothing has really replaced that for me. But I, I curate quite a small collection, but I think my collection is like 46-ish unique titles at the moment. Not including like expansions and that kind of thing, because if I concluded that, Arkham Horror alone would be like something ridiculous that I don't want to really think about too hard. I don't really look for killers. I do look for ga- when I replace, when I buy a new game, I do think, what is it replacing? What what gap is it taking in my collection? What does it, what does it represent? So like I'm thinking about The Captain is Dead at the moment, buying that. Because it's a large player, like up to seven players, which I'm catering for quite a lot. Cooperative game. And I have Eldritch Horror, which caters that many, but it's obviously a lot bigger game, a lot longer. Does that replace it? Does it sit alongside it? You know, that kind of consideration. But yeah, the actual actual killers I don't know about. I suppose the risk with calling a game a game killer um, is that it's either going to... You're taking a big risk, right? It's like... Either it does, you know, even if it, either it is better for whoever buys it, 
or it's not, and they're just going to get rid of it really soon, really quickly. Yeah. Or they're not going to play it at all because it's like, well, I've already got the original, and I really like the original, so I'm just not going to go anywhere near this. Yeah. This new one, or I might try it if someone else has it, but. Yeah, I think it's quite dangerous marketing. I, I every year before Games Expo, about a couple months beforehand, I reshare my "Here's how to demo things" post, and one of the things I say in that is, "Don't compare your game to other games," because if you do, one of two things is going to happen: someone's going to go, "What's that?" and have no idea what you're talking about, or they're going to know and like that other game better. <laughs> that is probably the two things that are going to happen. Don't, if you can possibly avoid it. I would never compare ga- my game to another game. Try and sell the unique aspect of your game. Yeah. I do wonder, actually, whether it's actually a phrase that gets used more by media people than it does by the actual publishers. Possibly. As in, it kind of spreads around through, mm. you know, the Dice Tower starts off by calling it yeah, I don't know. that to get attention for their video type of thing, and then that just percolates out here's 10 board game killers number five will amaze you and because yeah yeah (laughs) because it's quite an effective way uh, for a media person to very quickly summarize the game right it immediately tells you what the target market is it tells you a fair bit about the mechanics Hmm. it's like when when deception murder in hong kong was compared to uh mysterium they're similar there but even if they are different yeah, that immediately tells you the sort of puzzle that you're playing around with, and in fact, Deception versus Mysterium was one of our Witch's greater episodes. Oh, yeah. Well, yes. I that. <laughs> <laughs> How dare you advertise in the middle that. of our podcast? Disgraceful. <laughs> oh. Let me cut it out later. <laughs> I, I, think I, just, I think I saw that title drop just roll away. Just let, let me just grab that. Sorry. Oh, it's very good. Yeah, yeah. Amazing. Amazing. <laughs> amazing. It was almost like it was planned. <laughs> I think that, I think in media you are safer because people who are looking out for that kind of review probably do know what you're talking about already. They are probably fairly well versed in different releases and board games and that kind of thing in general. They, they are not like more casual gamers who are, are, are coming along to like something like UK Games Expo because they've they play some Carcassonne and things like that, and they want to see the sort of the wider world of board games or, or whatever. People who like are watching the Dice Tower are probably fairly hardcore gamers already, so you are you're a little safer mm. saying things like "Yeah, it's a Splendor Killer" or, or that kind of thing, certainly. But yeah, yeah, I'm not sure myself, Matt, whether that kind of, I think that kind of thing is more media rather than rather than publishers saying it. What do you think about it yourself, Jamie? I just think it's a bit of a dangerous phrase i mean basically for exactly what you said matt is either going to be i'm going to try this slash hate try this and i'm either going to go yeah actually fine it was better or no this is absolute nonsense either way if you bought it you've still given them the money i think this is also this idea that let's take deception and mysterium as as an ex- as a, the example that we seem to be using a lot that if deception had truly murdered Hong, uh, <laughs> Mysterium, sorry. Then why would Mysterium still be selling really, really well? You know, and again, this is this small coterie of of people who, who are very into very into the kind of the board game scene and do kind of pay close attention to what review site A, review site B, review podcast X says. But then, obviously, you can make up your your own minds because not everyone's going to listen to it. Uh, the one I said just before we started recording is 
you know, an argument could be made, could be theoretically made, that Uwe Rosenberg, large, complicated worker placement games after Agricola, some people might see them as Agricola killers, Caverna, Nussfjord, Reykjolt, because they do what Agricola did and better. I mean, maybe they're just, maybe it's better to see these things as evolutions. I mean, certainly in terms of production values, we're seeing better and better board games because just the text game better, people, publishers' understanding of how to put together a board game well is getting better, though not necessarily how to write rule books. Get that sorted out, guys. That's a that's a brainstorm for another time entirely. But yeah, yeah, we're 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 seeing evolutions in how mechanics are explained, and even like a like a publisher, like for instance, when Dominion first came out, right? So that's the first deck builder. That's granddaddy deck builders. You look back at it now, and it maybe feels a little. I mean, still people really really enjoy that. There's loads of expansions out for fair play to them if people enjoy it. It's, I'm not a great fan of it myself. I prefer some other deck builders myself. But that's because the mechanics have evolved over time. People have started to understand how to build, make deck builders more interactive or different, or or do different things with them. And that's just that's just evolution of design over time. That's just always going to happen. Absolutely. I mean, I've got you know one example I have is from the world of theatre, and uh, Stanislavski, Konstantin Stanislavski, is regarded as uh, one of the kind of the main acting styles in the West. Actually, the main acting style in the West. Mm-hmm. Um, but a lot of his pupils have since brought out their own brought their own theories and their own styles which was i like what stanislavski did but i disagree with this so i'm going to just change it and make it my own and then pupils of theirs went i like what this person did who likes what stanislavski did but i don't like what they did so i'm going to make it my own so from stanislavski you have yeah. uh irena not Irene adler that's sherlock holmes uh <laughs> that's official have... character jerry <laughs> <laughs> that's the official catch. Yes. Yes. Uh, Stella Adler. That's it. From Stanislavski, you've got Stella Adler, and you've got Michael Chekhov, and you've got Uta Hagen, and from then you've got their subsidiaries who then go from their subsidiaries who go to their subsidiaries, and everything is just tweaking, tweaking, right. tweaking, tweaking, and we've seen it in acting. We see it, as I said, in computer games. We see it in board games. We see it all over the world in so many things. It's nothing new, but it's always worth remembering yeah. and worth noting. Like... Uh, Taking my Agricola point very quickly, Agricola is still played because it's yeah. you know, still a really good game. That's the thing. It's nothing has killed Agricola. Games have come along that have done slightly different things. But you know, what? some people just prefer the simplicity of Agricola. I suppose it's for like it's a personal thing that. Uh, so for you, Ian, one of those later deck builders killed Dominion for you, maybe. Whereas for me, I still really love Dominion. I think it's still. One of the best uh, deck builders. And certainly it took a long time for really good ones to uh, come out. And those ones can- tended to be more you know, like things like uh, Clank and stuff, which are only partly about the deck building. And by which point, it's not really true comparison anyway. So Dominion remains king of its own niche, perhaps. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, that's completely fair. Yeah, I... Th- I- I mean, I think the, the how this shakes out basically is like you just have to be a little careful if someone says like this is a killer. You don't like, like this kills a particular game in your collection. You don't need to rush out and get that. By all means, try it if you want to. But it's not. There's nothing definite about this kind of stuff. It's really down to personal preference and what plays well in your group. Well, 
the dinner bell has just gone and we're going to have to head off very soon and finish off this wonderful, wonderful podcast. But just before we go, of course, of course, it is the outro. So that means one thing. That is Monopoly news. That is the Monopoly siren. (laughs) You're going to make me put a Monopoly siren into the cast now. Yes, I have brought a Monopoly siren into the cast. It's a very bad Monopoly (laughs) siren. Uh, But that's what we have. So yeah, we're yes. Going to jail. We're not going <laughs> not to jail. Go. We're heading to jail. <laughs> uh, sorry, I. I'm, no, actually, I'm. I'm not sorry at all. <laughs> it's been a bit slim pickings this week, but I have found a new version of Monopoly, which is another another interesting one. But it is a world first, and it is the first time a Monopoly edition has centered around a single nightclub. That is the Pacha Ibiza version of Monopoly, which is, but a few months old. The famous Ibiza <laughs> nightclub. Uh, you will all the fun of it on the Monopoly board. Properties on the game are specific parts of the Pacha Ibiza club on, funnily enough, the island of Ibiza. But the pieces will stay as the traditional ones. So I'm not going to be able to play glow stick. It's, uh, it's going to be the dog and that. Really know Sadly not, mate. Sadly not, mate. But the properties are specific parts, so you can, you know, you can build up on the private the vip dj booth or the vip room or things like that yep what are you building are are you building a house on the vip room because that seems a little impractical i'm not i'm not gonna lie (laughs) not gonna lie it's houses and hotels you're about you're uh, building on it so the dj booth has a house and a hotel on it now the 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 stations also reference the associated clubs and businesses uh yeah and but there is an interesting statistic which is since 1935 this uh, article since 1935 there have been 1105 official variations of monopoly published now that is that's almost as many games as are releasing it yes exactly (laughs) (laughs) and i think i think on that bombshell yeah, we'd just like to thank our executive producers of the Lucky Sparrow Gaming Cafe for continuing to support us. And if you would like to join them in our Patreon, we would very much appreciate it. For just $1 a month, you can get an extended version of this cast. And this one is going to be really extended, folks, so there's going to be lots of extra tidbits to listen to. We'd also like to give two quick shout-outs to GridCon, which is happening on the 29th of November to the 1st of December. That is hosted by Paul Grogan of Gaming Rules. Uh, You can head to the website and check that out. And we'd also like to give a wee shout-out to a Kickstarter that I've just backed, which is the Senate Journal, which is a new gaming sort of journal with some writers like Owen Duffy. Uh, So, yeah, uh, if you're interested in really interesting writing, not just straight reviews, but lots of interesting articles about board gaming and tabletop gaming in general, that might be worth checking out. I think it's only about $9 to back that for the first journal that is coming out. Thank you so much, Matt, for coming along. It's been a pleasure. Uh, Where can our listeners find you on the internet i'm at uh, creaking shelves on youtube and creakingshelves.com which is the blog and on social media at creaking shelf on twitter because of username length restrictions <laughs> <laughs> just a single it's shelf like on twitter kind of, but uh, many shelves elsewhere <laughs> just <Yeah>. one shelf <laughs> that must be very restrictive for your collection just, yeah. a, just one shelf or is it's it all right. There's a, i only need to fit 240 characters in right? the Well, thank you very much for listening, everyone. If you like what you've listened to, then the best way to help us out and Matt out is to share our work around. So share the podcast, go to Matt's site, uh, subscribe to his YouTube channel. You're almost at 1,500 subscribers. Yes, yeah, uh, getting there. 
uh, at 20 odd short. Awesome. So yeah, do, do go along and do go along and check out Matt's work and uh, subscribe if you like it. Uh, you can follow us on Twitter at the Giant Brain. Our Instagram is Giant Brain UK. Facebook just search the Giant Brain. Our website is GiantBrain.co.uk, and you can email us about anything in the show at GiantBrainUK at gmail.com. Thank you very much, Matt, for coming along. Yeah, thank you. For we shall me. see you all next time, folks. Bye bye.